This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Across the blue line, leaves it for Spence, he gets checked, and Hagel counters. Maybe a nine-man rush. Hagel up the middle at center, across the blue line, trying to come in alone. Hagel pulls up, stays with it, kings back defensively. Hagel protects it right circle. Hagel looking to find a teammate. Hagel stays with it, goes to Perbix right circle. Perbix a step in front. Beckage on. Score! Score! Nick Perbix! He wins the game for the Lightning! 3-2 in overtime! We just continued to play the right way. Obviously, in the second there, a couple things didn't go our way, and the puck ended up in the back of our net. But we just we didn't try to push it too hard. And uh, like I said, continued to play the right way, and things puck eventually went in for us. I think uh, we played pretty well all around. I mean, I mean, I think I could say that just feels like that this year a little bit, that every time we make a mistake, it's going in the net. Um, they got a couple of rush goals, a little confusion by us, but uh, at the end of the day, it didn't feel like we were getting outplayed, so we kind of just stuck with it in the third period, and uh, obviously we know the result. It was one of those games, just get one. Like, let's just get one and see what happens, and a huge goal by Meyer, great play by, by Icy, and then, you know, the Brendan Hagel show took over, and what a phenomenal individual effort, not only on the second goal to tie it, but, you know, the setup per be in, for the overtime winner uh, and sometimes you need those and you know oftentimes you hear the name Kucherov come out when the plays like this or point or whoever it is it was great that some other guys came in and had been big parts of our team but you brought this game home for us brought this game home yes it did John Cooper it brought home two points and boy did the lightning do we want to say desperately needed two points? Are, are we using that type of language from now until hopefully? How about the they really needed two points. Yes, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it just you you say one word, I'll say another. They probably both they probably mm-hmm. both make sense, partner. But it, it was it was a really nice win against the team. I know they had come in as you illustrated yesterday, had lost five in a row. I, I'm not sure. Oh, three I, and two. Yeah, they were I mean, that implies points. there were close games in there. Yeah, the garbage points that you pick up in hockey. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> but, you know, they Well, they the Kings count. got another garbage point last night. They but did. They, they feel they left a point out on the table, but I think, for sure. I think when you, t- and this is Power Lunch on Lightning Radio, Greg Linelli with you along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick back from his celebration. We'll get to Steve in a little bit because I know he's still recovering, and boy, he is excited. But I think, Dave, you had some questions for him. Maybe we'll save that for the end of the show about, you mm-hmm. know, really, what is this Michigan nonsense? Is he joining the Jack Michaels idiosyncratic <laughs> club? How do you like that? That's a that's more Jack, than I heard Jack word. Michaels, and I, I immediately <laughs> yeah. said Cleveland Browns fan, so I don't know if I'm I'm ready to go on board there. Well, that's what I mean. I know, I know. Steve I grew know. up in Cincinnati. That's in the yeah. wrong state to cheer for University of Michigan, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll 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 make sure Steve has his. his we have more there. pressing topics to get to. No, the Lightning win Cincinnati or the University of Michigan at Bolts Radio for sure. Hop on and and hope everybody was safe from the. The, the tornado that did hit yesterday and um, that was crazy but well it was a bad storm did you did you have a tornado in your area we had a high winds it was pretty mm. crazy I mean but it didn't last which was nice yeah. but it was you one stayed of those close things. to home base which I get yeah I mean it was one of those things too I did the game from home like if I would have left after the storm I probably would have been late to the game which yeah. is not good if you're the the pregame show host but that's True. neither here nor there but in terms of the game understanding defensively how good L.A. is. And look, there were moments in that game last night where we saw that from the Kings. Being down 2 nothing, heading into the third period, just that scenario partner in general against any team I think is impressive to be able to come back and win it. 
but factor in the Lightning, you know, up and down season. They're going against the Kings team, who's very good defensively. Mm-hmm. That should be a win that gives you at least some confidence heading into the game against the Devils, who's banged up, which we'll get into in theory. Yeah, and, and the Lightning did some good things last night in addition to the comeback. And I think we heard that in the clips from Perbix and Hagel. They both said, you know, we were playing well. We were playing the right way. And that ties to the word that we talked about on yesterday's show, patience. They were down in the game, but they didn't press to the point that they gave up more than two. They held the Kings to two. You hold the other team to two, even if it's a team that defends very well and makes it hard on you to score two. You give yourself a chance to get points, and Alaini did that. It was, I wouldn't say it was the biggest key in the game, but it was certainly a key that the Kings never got a third goal. At 3 nothing, I I think the Lightning probably don't have enough oomph to get back in the game. Although they did put three pucks in the net last night. They had another one taken away, which we can get into and give you my, my opinion on the challenge, why it was deemed successful, and, and what I think about the decision that was made after the coach's challenge. Be that as it may, it may not be at the top of the list, but, but among the boxes to check when we – figure out how the Lightning won this game. They defended pretty well, and they stuck with it. In other words, they didn't press for offense that wasn't there and leave themselves open to counterattacks. I thought that was really important because down 2 nothing with under eight minutes left, I mean, you could have pressed earlier in the game, particularly after the goal came off the board. Oh, we just had one. It was 2-1. to one. Now it's 2 nothing again. Let's get it. And they they didn't. They stayed with it. That was really positive. I learned from Nick Nixon, the longtime Kings broadcaster, after the game. This was very surprising to me, Greg. And I may not be remembering it exactly how he put it, but I want to say that he mentioned, and this is after the game, it's the fifth time this year the the Kings have had a two-goal lead and lost, which for the second-best defensive team in the NHL is a shocking number. Now, some of those two-goal leads might have been Earlier in the game, they had a two-goal lead in the second half of the third period last night. I do remember their first road loss because they set the NHL record for consecutive road wins to open a season with 11, and they were up 2 nothing on the Islanders on the road on their way, presumably to winning road game number 12 in a row to start the season, and the Islanders rallied on them, and they won either in overtime or the shootout. That one I remember. That was a third-period comeback. I didn't remember... I'm not following the Kings that closely, and it's not a stat that they're going to promote in their game notes, right, Greg? And it's not Im- immediately obvious when you look at their game by game what has happened, but from a guy who's seen every minute of every game, he said this has happened before. And I wonder if almost from the L.A. side, they're like, okay, we got this. It's 2 nothing. It's 2 nothing. It's 2 nothing. Now it's 2-1. Here we go again. Maybe there was a little bit of that, but... I think more so, the Lightning had guys make plays. And the guys who made the plays, to John Cooper's point, were not named Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, Hedman. It was AC Mott on the first goal with a side dish to Mott, who started the play with a good back check in the neutral zone and then finished the shot. It was Hagel on the second goal. And, I mean, he credited Perbix, who got the puck out of the defensive zone. But let's be perfectly honest here, Greg. That was Brandon Hagel 
every step of the way. He he willed that puck into the net. And then on the third goal, it was a lot of Hagel, and Perbix was was the recipient of Hagel's hard work, and then Perbix makes a great finish. Maybe they should start putting him in the shootout with, with the little nifty backhand finish he had to win the game. But you had guys make plays because the Kings weren't giving the Lightning anything, as we should expect. They were playing a buttoned-up defensive game, as they have done all year. But AC Mott breaks wide down the wing, got around his former teammate in college, Blake Lazat, took it to the corner, and then fed it in front. And the Kings were a little mesmerized by AC Mott, which is how Mott got open. Also, a little bit of a good bounce for the Lightning because Lazat tailed off and went to the middle. And the AC Mott pass hits Lazat's stick, but he doesn't control it. And it still reaches Mott. So that was a break for the Lightning in that the puck could have deflected somewhere else. But AC Mott made the play. And if you watch the replay of Hagel's goal to tie the game at two, the Kings have three guys back defensively. And I'm not including the goalie, Talbot. <laughs> Hagel is able to break through or past or around, however you want to put it, three L.A. defenders. And Talbot bit early. Talbot didn't have a chance on the on the Mott goal, but he does bear some responsibility for the Hagel goal in that he committed early and left the back post open, but Hagel had to get there. And, and force it in, which is basically what he did. And then the overtime goal, I mean, goodness, what a play by Brandon Hagel. One of the things that Nick Nixon said to me, which was interesting, after the game, he shook his head and he said, I don't know why they had Dubois out there in overtime. So, <laughs> I mean, was it you, Greg, who said on yesterday's show, mm, I'm not sure I would make a trade for a guy who has had the track record Dubois has had. And I said, well, I think they got him for the playoffs. And if that is the case, then you want him out there when the stakes are high. And they put him out there in overtime. And he was the guy who was stripped by Hagel just inside the lightning blue line. Hagel tries to counter on a breakaway. Think about the energy you expend when you're skating as hard as you can up the middle of the ice trying to win the game at a breakaway. But And I want to say it was Spence. It wasn't Dubois. It was either Spence or Moore. They were the other two guys out there. One of them kind of caught up to Hagel. Like, he wasn't in the clear. So rather than try and force the shot, he peels to the sideboards. But then he is under major pressure, and it's basically Dubois. Dubois goes to Hagel and is all over Hagel. And Hagel has to work and scratch and claw to make sure he doesn't lose that puck. Because if he loses that puck, it's probably coming back the other way with an odd man rush for L.A., particularly as he curled up toward the Kings blue line. But Hagel didn't lose the puck. And it's the second play that Dubois made on the goal sequence where first he lost the puck and then he couldn't get it back. And Hagel makes the pass to Perbix. Perbix said, I got a little lucky. It hit off my skate and went right to my stick. But he did get position on Moore. And that was a play. That was a he, play. He made. made a power move. It was. It to was get a inside. play made. Exactly. But it, Hagel makes the play. Hagel makes the steal. Hagel holds onto the puck, and Hagel completes the pass to a teammate who's able to get into the clear. And Perbix makes the play to make sure he gets position where he can come in alone on the goalie, and then he makes a great finish. 
That's what you needed to beat the Kings last night, and the Lightning were able to do it. Well, I think that's true, and I think when you take a look at the move he made, we have been talking about Hagel and and kind of where he is and, and maybe starting to, to find his game again. And the overtime is really where he can shine. Because, yeah, you are using a lot of energy, but you're also one of those guys with his speed as long as you've got a little bit of left in the tank, you're always going to be able to create some some scoring opportunities. And in that play, I don't want to say he he created something out of nothing, but for the most part, that was a a pretty decent three on three setting for the Kings. I think Hagel just made a smart smart play, and then Perbix made a play. Mm-hmm. And I, I credit to him because oftentimes in the three on three, Dave, you need to make a play. the The play will will typically result in a in an odd man rush because somebody from the other team takes a gamble, maybe they're winded and they can't get back in time. Or in that instance where the Kings basically were where they needed to be, Perbix and Hagel made plays. And I think that's what you actually needed uh, from that perspective. There's also a goal that was disallowed that was a lot of controversy surrounding that. We can get into that. We can, and and I I think that's Can I just make one more point about the Hagel play at the beginning where he has maybe a chance to score in a breakaway? Think of the other two games the Lightning won in overtime. They won now four games past regulation. Three in overtime, one in the shootout. In their three overtime wins, Hagel has been involved. Hagel scored on a breakaway against the Bruins. He basically made the play against Seattle. Remember that play where he accelerates down the wing and it turns into a 2-on-1 and he gets the puck crushed to Kucherov who scores. And then last night, he gets the assist. But if you're Hagel... And you steal it from Dubois, and you turn around, and you have open ice in front of you. You're probably thinking, in fact, I'm sure he's thinking, I scored one goal on a breakaway in overtime this year. I had another play where I accelerated to create an odd man rush that led to a goal. I'm winning this game right now. And I'm going to go back to that word, patience. Because when that opportunity wasn't completely closed off, but it would not have been it would not have been as prime of a scoring chance as maybe he thought it, it could have been when he first got the puck. He had the patience not to try and make that play. Instead, he elected to basically enter a puck battle where he had the puck and hold on to it and wait for something else. That's patience. That's playing with patience rather than trying to force a low-percentage shot in overtime that might lead to a turnover and the puck coming back the other way. I mean, what a what a sequence from Hagel, and well, deservedly it, named the first star. It, it is patience, but it's also calculated risk because the minute you stop and, and pull up and wait to make a play, you also run the risk of somebody knocking that puck off your stick. They do that. They go the other way. He's gas. Yes. He's not getting back. So I think he had – there were a couple of options there. Do what he did to find Perbix or just keep the puck hemmed in L.A. zone and then go for a change. So I think he had to use his head on there, and sometimes that's tough when you're on a long shift or you're playing out in open ice like that, and and the stakes are pretty high. So I, I, I thought he was he was tremendous, and it was He was it at was the end really of uh, – sorry, Greg, but he was at the end of a shift on, on his goal too. Yeah. He had been out there with Paul and Sorelli, and Paul and Sorelli went to the bench. So when the goal is scored, AC Mott and Mott are out there. For sure. So, look, it, it was the smart move for him to stay out there. He was also farthest from the bench. I mean, he was down that right wing side, which is across the ice from the Lightning bench. 
And he had a chance to make a play, yeah. and Perbix got him the puck, and he made that play. But how much gas did he have in the tank on on the shift in which he scored? Yeah. He found he found the gas, right? <laughs> like that was a strong power move. But he had had a full shift and was at the end of it, and he still made the play. He did. And that part was exciting. There's no question about it. And, you know, we saw Chernak return to the game, which mm-hmm. was nice to see at Bolts Radio if you want to get involved in the conversation. Lilleberg gets his first Lilleberg, point. Lilleberg, yeah. And was it the second goal? Yeah, he passed it to Perbix. No, the um, uh, Roy's goal. I think, I think Lilleberg was on there. Yes. He, he went for the big hit. I actually thought it was the right play. I didn't think it got him out of position, per se. I mean, you could look at that and say yes, but it wasn't like nobody had Roy on that. Yeah, I think shot. Phil and and again, you know, I didn't see the replay to see exactly how it unfolded. I just saw the the end of the the end of the play is the replay that I saw. Barry Boulay feels like in. he got flat footed a little. But it was bit. Paul. I think yeah. Phil mentioned Paul was the guy that didn't stay with Roy. But look, the Lightning didn't give up many chances, but. The Kings did convert on two of them. I thought the Deno goal was more of a scoring chance than the Roy shot. But they were both pretty good looks, and the Kings converted on two of them. But that shouldn't take away from from all the good things the Lightning did defensively. And most of their good work defensively happened because they had the puck a lot. The old Greg Linelli strategy, and it's not your strategy, but you talk about it a lot. You know, When you play with the puck a lot, you don't have to worry about the defensive zone. That is true. And the Lightning did that a lot last night. They had that a huge possession advantage. Yeah, they did. Um, so I, it was just an observation on the the one goal from the Kings. I, I didn't think you could see Lilleberg. He wants to be physical, and that's what yeah. he was on that play, and I had no problem with that. And you know what's interesting? I have no idea how his game is going to translate to the NHL partner. But I feel like if Lilleberg continues to show that he doesn't look out of place skating-wise, uh, it looks like he can be a thumper. Mm-hmm. Like he that, is a thumper. That's, that's, one, that's his game. And you know what? Having another guy out there like Chernak on the back end, I kind of like that. You know, that nastiness, we're just going to hit you, and it's okay to have guys like that. I'm not saying that the Lightning don't have physical defensemen, but Chernak is uniquely skilled from that perspective. Like, that's what he does. Well, there was a reason why the Lightning decided to keep Lilleberg because they have other options. Well, that's that's my at, point. At lefty and it's D. a good point. Carlisle, Day have both been up, but Lilleberg is the one who came up and stayed right now. Yep. Presumably for a while, because Sergachev is on long term injury and Hayden Fleury is on long term injury, unless they decide to swap him out for another lefty D who's currently in the minors. Yeah. I think that's all fair. If people want to react, they can. Uh, let's touch on the disallowed goal. Yeah. And then we can get to some questions and comments. Okay. So there were two reviews. <laughs> and I had forgotten that this is actually the case, but I, I seem to remember after the game, I kind of remembered hearing about another instance when a whistle does not stop play or intent to blow the whistle does not stop play. And that was the reason why the goal was allowed to stand. I saw Jay Retcher in the second intermission, or Jay and Eric Erlinson both said the whistle sounded. They heard a whistle before the puck went in the net. Now, usually if that's the case, that's it. 
plays over. I didn't hear the whistle, but I have headsets on. And if we're not getting as loud, the uh, the ice effects, we like them low. I like them low, actually. So sometimes I don't always hear a whistle, particularly if there's a lot of activity going on and we're talking loudly on the air or I'm talking loudly on the air. But I will I will take it at their word that there was a whistle. So if there was a whistle, how was the goal allowed to stand? And the explanation we heard from the referee was the play was continuous or something along those lines. So if kind of nobody stops playing and the whistle is right before the puck is shot in and it's clear that play is still live, I think that they will allow goals. Up until maybe a year or two ago, I didn't think that that was the case, but but I do remember another instance in which I've heard about this continuous play. So the play was continuous because Cam Talbot had no idea where the puck was. He didn't have it underneath him. It was between, he was laying on his back, his, his legs were splayed, and the puck was in between. It was, it was visible. So the whistle did not affect the puck going in, which is why I think they allowed the goal. So again, to, to kind of set the stage, DeHaan takes it behind the net. As he is doing that, Kopitar and Sorelli are jostling. They go into the crease, and Sorelli makes, I would say, light contact with Cam Talbot. Sorelli ends up going to the other side of Talbot. So he's at the post closer to where DeHaan is. DeHaan centers it. Sorelli jabs at the puck. The goaltender tablet makes the save. Falls on his back. Pucks between his legs. AC Mod comes in. At first we thought AC Mod scored it, but it was Sorelli. Sorelli gets a stick in the puck, lifts it in the net. It is ruled after the review for the whistle situation a good goal. The Kings challenge for goalie interference. This is a separate category. This doesn't have to do with the whistle or continuous play. They were saying there was contact on Cam Talbot, and that contact prevented the goalie from playing his position. So we have been over this enough times now on the show. Regular listeners understand what they are looking for when they look at a review. And what they are looking for first off is, was there contact in the crease? If there was contact in the crease, there is going to be no goal. The exception is if the attacking player is pushed in, basically pushed into the crease and into the goalie by a defending player. Then that is like, it's it's a veto override, right? The, the goal is allowed to stand because the attacking player was pushed in to the goalie. There's another component to this, though, and that is how long after the contact was made did the puck go in the net? And usually you don't see this because usually the contact happens and then the puck goes in. In this instance, Sorelli, after the contact, has time to go to the other side of Talbot, take a shot, and then put in the rebound. So the puck enters the net, Phil was saying five to six seconds. I'm not sure if it was quite that long, but it was not a bang-bang play from the contact to the puck going in. So when they looked at it on review, what the officials decided, and the officials, I'm not sure that this is the on-ice officials. I mean, they're in the conversation, 
but they are on they're on the phone with Toronto. So whoever made the call, or there was a consensus for the call, and I actually have the explanation from the league. I'm going to read it to you. After huddling, the officials came in the headset to inform the situation room that they had a good goal on the ice. LA then challenged the play for goaltender interference. Video review determined Tampa Bay's Anthony Sorelli made contact with goaltender Cam Talbot's pad in the crease that impaired his ability to play his position prior to the goal. So what is the important language in there? First of all, in the crease. And the second part is impaired his ability to play his position prior to the goal. So what they looked at was the contact in the crease. They felt that it was Sorelli, not Kopitar pushing Sorelli, and that that contact impaired Talbot's ability to play his position. So the one part I agree with was there was contact in the crease. I feel that it wasn't like Kopitar cross-checked Sorelli into the crease. And maybe when they looked at it on review, they made the decision that Sorelli could have done more to avoid the contact. I think that that's giving a generous interpretation to the officials. To me, Kopitar is not really giving Sorelli anywhere to go except directly into the crease and and contact with the goalie. But even if you were going to grant the officials and L.A. that part of it and say, eh, it really wasn't enough contact from Kopitar, Sorelli has to own the fact that there was contact with the goalie. He went into the crease. There was contact. How much did that contact actually impair Talbot's ability to play his position prior to the goal? That's the part that I think is really questionable about this. And it goes to how much time elapsed from the contact to the goal being scored. Because Talbot makes the save on Sorelli. Talbot is able to play his position after the contact. Sorelli goes to the other side and takes a shot. And Talbot is upright at that point. And he makes the save, and then he falls on his back. And then he doesn't cover the puck. And then Sorelli chips it in. So if you were to ask me why was this goal disallowed, I think it had everything to do with the fact that there was contact in the crease, and they felt that Sorelli, more than Kopitar, caused the contact, and then it was done. I mean, they took a while to look at it. And I almost feel, and I feel the same way in a, in a situation that went in the other direction that we talked about maybe a week ago, that Boston-Detroit game where Rasmussen makes contact with Swayman. I'm going to get to that in a second. That was a goal that was allowed to stand, even though Rasmussen's stick basically makes contact with Swayman's glove, and as a result, Swayman can't make the save, but it happened outside the crease. I almost feel right now, based on these last couple of calls that we've seen, a couple have gone against the Lightning, and and that one with the Boston-Detroit game. It's almost like there's too much emphasis on the crease. I understand that the crease is the goalie's domain. I get it. But the Shesterkin play, which is another one that you don't often see a play like that, Shesterkin is trying to get back into his crease, and he bumps Janot. And they said Janot initiated the contact. It was in the crease. It's almost like they're saying, well, there's contact in the crease. No goal. Or... The contact happened outside the crease. We're giving the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt to the attacking team. Whereas I think, and this is just my opinion, and the NHL may disagree, 
Stephen Walkham, the director of officials, may disagree with this take. To me, the spirit of the rule is, was the goalie able to play his position? And yes, there should be extra consideration if the contact happens in the crease for the goalie and less for the goalie if the contact happens outside the crease. But let's just answer that very basic question. In the Boston-Detroit game, was Jeremy Swayman affected in his ability to play his position? The answer is yes. Rasmussen's stick comes on his glove. He can't move his left arm to stop the puck. That should have been no goal. I don't care that it happened outside the crease. The goalie has a right to play his position. The crease or not in the crease, I think should be secondary. In the Talbot case last night, was Cam Talbot able to play his position? I think the answer is yes, he was. He did play his position. He made a save. It was on him that he didn't cover the rebound. He was the one who flopped down on his back. Sorelli didn't push him down. So when was it? A couple of weeks ago, I'm like, after this conversation I had a few years ago with Don Karski, I feel I understand the goalie interference. I have I have been wrong on the last three that I've seen because I thought that Boston-Detroit game, I didn't see it live, but after watching it, I would have thought it would have gone in the other direction. And I think the last two involving the Lightning, the Shesterkin play and this play last night, those should have been good goals for the Lightning. They weren't. So you think some everybody partner- who covers the game, I think, is scratching their head a little bit. Do you think the same can apply with what you just said about goaltender interference, making interference with the goaltender, and I think we have to maybe interpret things a little differently with each scenario. The same can be applied for that, the the offsides and how that impacts the goal too. Because well, I think part the of this is, is tough because that's more black and white, right? Either some, the puck it, entered the zone first or the attacking But sometimes it's did. not right because you're, you're looking at somebody's skate, whether it lifts up or not. Yeah. You know, and does it really impact the goal? No. Could I make a case that impacted the goal where it was disallowed? Heck no. He had time to position himself after being bumped, and he might have been pushed in. That's from, it. From that yeah. Pos- yeah. So, I mean, so there I was think- another consideration there, too, that they disregarded or so they I- didn't feel it was impactful enough. That's why I think these are tough, because if you say you've got to interpret it the way you see it, I don't think the officials are going to work that way. I think they're going to go by, because the safe out is letter of the law. You touch the goaltender, technically no goal. If right. you're a little bit off sides... <laughs> and it doesn't impact the goal at all, you're still offside. They could have framed it, though, that while there was contact in the crease, it did not impair the goaltender's ability to play his position. Or they could have said Anthony Sorelli was pushed into the crease by Andre Kopitar. Therefore, good goal. I mean, I, th- the I think part that's two is that The other part, too, is the officials do not do, I'm going to say it, a very good job of explaining this on the microphone. All they say is, we had goalie interference, and the fans are left to wonder, well, why? Tell us why. You yeah. got the email. They could explain it. They don't. And that's just not last night's game. That's that's around the league. I think the officials could be a little bit more explicit in spelling out exactly why a goal is allowed to stand or not allowed to stand. That was a frustrating one for the Lightning, because that was a 50-50 in my mind, and had the Kings not won the challenge, it would have been 2-1, and the Lightning would have been going on the power play. It would have been a 4-on-3 power play because there were penalties called on Kempe and Sorelli after after the whistle or after the goal. That was a tough swing. When you leave it up to the officials to make a call, and look, to be fair, it wasn't 
they didn't make the final decision, right? I mean, it was Toronto. Yeah. What does that say? I don't know. Phil was shaking his head, right? Because he's looking at the very basic part. By basic, I mean the fundamental part of the question. Goalie interference. Was the goalie impaired in his ability to play his position? That's what Phil's looking at. And in his mind, the answer was no. And I agree with him. And I agree with him, too. And I think that's how yeah. it should be judged, right? <laughs> I mean, and look, you can fair. you can add in the crease part of it. I understand contact in the crease is gonna is gonna tilt the balance in the goaltender's favor. But if the puck doesn't go straight in, and the goalie has time to recover, then that contact should be less significant, right, in the decision. I would agree. It all it all makes sense. And unfortunately, when you have human beings making some of these decisions, you're going to have different reaction. And that's just kind of, you know, where we are uh, with all of it at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved in some of the discussion we've already had today, let's get to some questions. Yes. And uh, we will all do that. And I like to go back, 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 back. Al says, I really like Lilleberg. Seems very aware in the D zone. It'll be a good one next year. Well, why not this year? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, well, he's getting an opportunity to show what he's got. He is. I like the physical style. As long as you're not running around, I like being physical because I do think that is an element where uh, the Lightning could use more of on the back end. Mm-hmm. Matt said, I meant to post this yesterday, but can we get a stick tap for Lilleberg? Had a great NHL debut. Thomas Thompson wasn't noticeable, but that's not a bad thing for a defenseman. I actually felt Thompson was a bit noticeable. I yeah. thought he had some good plays in all three zones. Right. Lilleberg was noticeable because, as you mentioned, he brought the thump or however you put it. I think it's easy to see that. And I tell you yeah. what, he'll, he'll really embrace everything if he drops the gloves and, and can hold his own because I think people like to to see that aspect of things too. I'm not saying that's part of it, but it is what it is. Al also said something noticeable last night about Perbix. He seemed to be more assertive in all three zones when playing with Lilleberg. When teamed with Hedman, he seems to defer a bit more to 77. Have you noticed that, Trent? Well, I think Perbix is is finding his game, and I think it started when the Lightning were having to play short on the blue line, and he was playing more. And that actually started when he was playing with Hedman. But yeah, I mean, they, they like him with Lilleberg. I noticed that he played a lot with Carlisle as well. Yeah. The game in Minnesota. For sure. Yeah. And uh, I think some of that is just to your point growing as a defenseman because at some point you want to be aggressive with whomever you're playing with. Although I do think playing with Hedman, you, you have a tendency in part because your responsibility is to stay back a little bit if he's going to join the play and do what he does. Jay said, what a goal from Hagel and what a comeback. Still concerns me with this team's finishing ability, but the team's defense was much better. I think finishing finishing comes and goes. Yeah, and finishing comes, I think, with a little swagger. And the Lightning were fighting it a little bit last night. We noticed that. They were also facing a team that does defend very well. I mean, you could see that, the way they play. They, They remind me of Winnipeg. Often they make the safe, smart play. They protect the front of the net. They check. Very few uncontested looks for the Lightning. Yeah. And the goalie is asked to do less, but when he's asked to do some, 
more often than not, he's able to come up with the goods. Talbot last night wasn't able to make the, I, I mean, the, the, the save on Ma would have been a tough one. That was a bang-bang play. But he was unable to come up with the saves on the in-alone chances for Hagel and Perbix when the Kings had breakdowns. They're still in very good shape, though. I mean, Edmonton and Seattle are charging up the standings, but if you look at kind of the big picture in the West, the Kings are in a very good spot still. And look, even in the six-game winless streak, they are getting some points, and they have games in hand on a lot of other teams around the NHL. So I think they're a playoff team. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in that conversation, you certainly can do just that. Uh, the finishing ability, just a, a comment on that. I think that comes and goes, partner. I, I mm-hmm. do. I mean, I think even the, the really good teams, you know, you're going to go through stretches throughout the season where things just aren't, aren't going. Do we think the offense, by and large, if you were to take a big picture approach, would you say the offense for the most part has been pretty good? Yes. I think this so. was this was only the ninth game all year in which Kucherov was held without a point. And look, he's leading the league in scoring. So those numbers jive. If you're leading the league in scoring, you're pointing in most games. But as far as what they are allowing, the Lightning held the other team to to under three goals in just nine of their first forty one. They've done it in the first game of the second half. So let's mark how many times they do it in the second 41 games. It's going to have to be higher than nine. And I think that they will find enough offense. Last night they found enough offense. They did. They were able to win that game because they held the Kings in part, because they held the Kings to two or less. Yeah. And they they earned that. I mean, they held the the shot attempts down they held the shots down they held the chance number down and yeah they did it by possessing the puck a lot but they don't have to apologize for that yeah why would we apologize you don't you don't need to uh anthony also says we tried to help stammer i know but it's just a different line with hegel bring him up we need to focus on winning the next three games to be around the 570 percentage it's a realistic task, basically a four-point game against the Devils. So I think he's saying, because Stamkos played with Point and Kucherov, he'd rather see Hagel on that line. Hagel, I he think said Hagel, Kucherov, by, and Point. Yeah, at the beginning of his tweet, that's kind of what he yeah, was saying. Right. I've always said, I think that's, to me, I, I really like that line. Maybe that's my security blanket. I mm-hmm. also know that there's maybe some chemistry. Would you agree? Although I don't know if we've seen the production from the chemistry. Five on five, Hagel and Sorelli. Tell know. you what, I know Coop switched them up, and maybe because they were down two, and he, he wanted to see what what Paul could do moving on to that line. But I tell you what, Sorelli, Hagel, and AC Mott, they were probably the most dynamic lightning line through really the first two periods, or whenever it was they swapped Paul and AC Mott. And then AC Mott makes the play to Mott. So it didn't really, like AC Mott, Still got on the scoreboard, even though he was moved off that line. But they were the line that was out there when that Sorelli play happened. Yeah. And the lighting had the goal disallowed. 
I think wherever Hagel goes, he seems to elevate his line mates. And maybe that's not the right way of putting it because it's hard to say he elevates Point and Kucherov. It's but he because fits he can with Point and Kucherov. It's because he can skate. And his and his his engine never stops. You know, it's one of the things that made Connor Sherry attractive playing in a top six role. And you say, well, Greg, what do you mean by that? He's he's small in stature. Maybe doesn't finish as much as you'd like in terms of a guy getting an opportunity to be in a top six. And I'll just I'll throw guys like Sherry and Brian Rust, who I'm familiar with. But anybody with speed that might not necessarily translate into a top six role in terms of their talent. If you have the ability to go in on a four check and be the first one there. Then it allows the other two guys who probably conceivably are a little more skilled than you are. You become very valuable to that line. It's why I think the Lightning were excited to bring in Connor Sherry to an extent. That if he was going to play in a top six role, it wasn't necessarily because of his finishing ability, although there was some of that there, Dave. It was because he could get in on the forecheck with his speed. And I do think if you have a guy on a line who can go in and be the first on the puck and do a lot of the quote-unquote dirty work, it frees up your other skilled players to make some plays, which is why I think we've said, I can see why having speed guys playing with Stammer makes some sense mm-hmm. at this point in his career. And I actually think having Hagel on a first line do the dirty work for Kucherov and Point makes a lot of sense too. Because even as talented as Hagel is, partner, on a line with Kucherov and Point, he's the third wheel. But he's a very effective wheel. Well, I guess I would answer the tweet this way. I like Hagel with Point and Kucherov, and probably if I were in position to construct the lineup and the lines, I would, by default, start Hagel with Point and Kucherov. But we know John Cooper tends to mix up the lines. And I guess what I would say is Hagel seems to fit wherever he goes. I mean, his 18-game goal drought seemed to weigh on him a little bit, and, and he said... You know, I don't know that he said he was gripping his stick, but he basically said it was. He had some great chances. He didn't finish them. And it was nice to it was nice to score with a goalie in the net, basically. But I think one of the reasons why we didn't really take note of it was he was doing so many other things well and having such a big impact on the game. And and that was. You know, partially by contributing assists, which he was. He had that fight in that game against Montreal. Remember, remember the game, right? Which game did he have the fight? You're talking it about... Was not, it was the Vegas game. Yeah. The Vegas game. I was thinking about turnaround. So the turnaround the Montreal game was the was the Kovacevic goal into the open net, where the fans kind of got the lightning going. But in the Vegas game, it was Hagel that got the lightning going. And that was during his goal drought. So yes. I just think that... He he brings something to whatever line he is on and makes that line There's an go. edge. There's, There's an, an edge. edge. There's an edge, and I think the edge stems from the speed, the tenacity. Yeah. You get in on the forecheck, you're going to be mixing it up. Plus, he also, I think, it probably doesn't say it out loud, but I think he also is a guy that if one of – the opposing teams take a takes a shot at one of his teammates. We've seen Hagel be one of those first guys in. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think he was in there what last night, right? Who got hit? Was it Sorelli? Well, it was during the. It was during the, the goal scrum. Like Sorelli yeah. got crushed, and Hagel yeah. was the first guy in. 
I'm not going to say he's likes to fight guy, but hey, cool. <laughs> yeah, he'll get in there and protect his teammates, and I I think that goes a long way. So I I kind of like that. But in terms of line combinations, hard to to get married to anything because we know it changes. Bottom line is I think we like Hegel wherever he goes because I think mm-hmm. he's pretty productive. And I think John Cooper is just strategically finding ways to get guys going and, and mesh. And I think that's that's fine as well. Basil says, every time I go to a game, the Bolts get screwed. Montreal on New Year's Eve. Gold is allowed <laughs> last night. Amazing comeback, especially because wasting those two power plays to start the third was demoralizing and because chances were hard to come by. Yeah, well, and the Kings have the number one penalty kill in the NHL, so we can't just ignore that fact. What did you make of the Kings collectively? Basically, they are who we thought they were? As advertised, they are a great defensive team. Are they going to struggle to manufacture goals? I don't know. I mean, their scoring numbers are, are pretty good this year. I don't think that they had as good of a possession game as they normally have. I mean, if I look at their numbers heading into last night's game, they were tied for first in the NHL with 34.4 shots for per game, and they were third in the NHL in terms of fewest shots allowed per game, 27. That's a pretty good gap that tells you that generally, not always, but if you have a plus 7.5 shot for shot against number you have the puck more than the other team i think one reason why they have the puck more than the other team is that they do defend so well last night they didn't last night i think the lightning outworked the kings honestly that's how the lightning were able to have so much puck possession but we see this from the top defensive teams when they don't have the puck a lot they're not wilting they're not giving up grade a chance after grade a chance after grade a chance that's why whichever fan just had in there, you know, the Lightning with the power plays were struggling to generate. It's, it's true. They were struggling to generate. But that had as much to do with how the Kings play. They're a good team. Yeah. Is it possible they look to add a little pop at the deadline? I guess. We're going to see how this whole Dubois trade works out, too. Because they traded away a couple of guys who have offensive pop. They're not centers, though. Right. I follow in Velarde. Love it. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in that conversation, you can. What else does Basil say? He said, is someone new making the goal announcements at the arena? Not the same voice we've come to know and love. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Paul Porter, unless Paul has Orlando Magic duties. Yeah. I don't know who actually was filling in for him last night. That's not a good trade-off for Paul unless he just loves doing basketball because Paul Porter lives I mean, it I don't know, he lives in Tampa. Yeah, but yep. he's he's in our area. So yeah, driving right. to Orlando is is not nothing for That's him. That's a grind. But when, when both teams are playing at home, I think he does the magic. <laughs> no, so what he does is All right, tell us Steve. He clones himself. Let's say there's <laughs> yeah. ten dates that they both play at the same time. He'll do five for the lightning, five for the magic. All right. Got it. So he's he's kind of splits it. And and he'll pick the dates kind of based on what's needed at each arena. And then some nights there's a night that they really want him over, you know, so he works it out between the teams. Got it. He was not there last night. No, he was not. Yes. Hmm. I'm trying to see if I, I don't remember who was doing it last night. 
I know Pat Donovan did one game. It was not him last night. It was. It was not. <laughs> that is true. Well, sh- since Steve's right there, should we? Yeah. Should we transition to so. To the, wait, do you wait. have do you is have lineage to the state now? of Michigan, or are you a Cincinnati through and through? So I grew up in a small town called Lima, Ohio, which is about two hours north of Cincinnati. But when I was a year old, my dad was in radio, got a job in Ann Arbor, actually transferred his company to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he would cover the team, interview Bosham Beckler every week. And that's when my family became fans. I was extremely young, but we've had tickets since I was two years old, season tickets. And still okay. There. So that is the team that I've rooted for. You know, that one team as a kid that you'll always root for and no matter what, always have that affinity for, that was Michigan. Now, when I was five, we moved back to Ohio, back to Lima. But I, we stayed Michigan fans. And while many of our neighbors and friends were Ohio State fans, of course. But that area actually is about probably 70-30. Ohio State, Michigan, Interesting. where I grew up. It's, it's about two hours from Ann Arbor. It's about an hour 45 from Columbus. So It's 70-30 in which direction? Ohio State. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when your dad your dad worked in Ann Arbor, you guys lived in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. My sister was okay. born in Ann Arbor. Um He wasn't doing that commute. <laughs> no, no, no. We lived there for four years. So Okay. I mean I was really little. I barely remember when we moved back to Ohio, but mm-hmm. but we became you know, my family became fans. And we have been ever since. So Got it. So we had the opportunity well, that to makes go. Sense. We had the opportunity to go Monday, so my sister and I went and was that the first national championship game, Steve, you've ever been yes. a part of? Yes. Well, take us through the environment. What was that like? I mean, how many, what was the attendance? 72808, I think it was. Wow. Wow. Which is What's actually small. Which is actually small because when you go to Michigan games in Ann Arbor, it's 109,000 people there. But. Yeah. Is that, is that the capacity or is that bigger I think than it's capacity? A little, I think the capacity is in the high 60s there. Okay. So they squeezed more people in yeah. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. It was fun. I mean, it's. You know, it, it, colleges are, you know, it's very much, you know, each stadium has its own, I don't know if quirks isn't the right word, but, you know, feel for it. That's what makes college football what it is. It's the traditions of their stadium. So when you go to a neutral site game, it's different. If you've been to the ReliQuest Bowl or, you know, any of the bowls here, it, it's different. But national championship, of course, there's so much excitement because everything's on the line. You know, a bowl mm-hmm. game, you want to win and the fans are there and they're having fun. But the outcome doesn't always... You know, it's not the end-all, be-all this season. Where national championship, it's you know, you win, you're the champion. You lose, and you're not. And you know, as Lightning fans, we know that feeling. Won what two Stanley Cups a couple years ago, and then the next season you lost. You know, and that's a heartbreaking feeling. So it was exciting. It was fun. It was probably sixty-five, thirty-five in Michigan fans there compared to Washington. Mm. Just guessing. Although when you're on the one side of the field, it's hard to tell. You know, sound-wise, what it is, you just kind of look around. But it was everything you envisioned. Did you? Did you cry? I did not cry. <laughs> did not cry. All right. I just wanted to make sure. Yelled a so lot, which is the voice is still a little rough. Yeah. But. Now, how many people were were you with? Family members and uh, at the game was just my sister, myself, okay. and my wife. Okay. And then my kids went with us, but we have family in Houston, so they were able to stay with them. So. So you ditched the kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was. Steve smart. was telling me he, he did a chivalrous thing on. What was yesterday? <laughs> Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. So he he dropped his sister off at the airport because her flight was earlier, and then said, "Well, I'll drop I'll drive my wife and kids off at our gate 
because I'm right here at the airport before I return the rental car. And what do you expect the airport is looking like the morning after the national championship game? So he got stuck at the drop off and it took a while for him to return the rental car. It sounded like you were like home alone running through the airport, Steve, with the bag over your shoulder. So I dropped my airplane. My sister, she doesn't live here. She lives in Charlotte. So she took American home. So I dropped her off at the American terminal, took three, four, five minutes to, you know, pull in, pull over, drop off. So I said to my wife and kids, I'll just drop you guys off. Then I can go to the rental car place. It took over a half an hour. Once we got in the United terminal, there was construction and just how many people were there. So by the time I returned the rental car, get back to the terminal, the security line is forever long. I made my plane by 90 seconds running through the airport. My wife and kids were already on the plane and would have gone without me, but but we made it. And then you sat for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, and then right. the plane was deemed unfit to fly after we were already on the plane. So <laughs> it took an extra three and a half, four hours to get home. You made it though; it was worth it. It's yes. always worth it. Absolutely. The travel hijinks aside, yes, going no, to was, a, a special event like that. You know, and and you know, as a sports fan, you know, who knows if you'll ever get back there. There's no promises for any team. So when you when you are at those championship games, and we've said this with the Lightning and the Stanley Cups, enjoy them because you just don't know what the future holds. Believe me, I think we're all having that discussion. Uh, to your point, right now, I mean, it's it's something when you when you factor all of this in. I, I've tried to make this point. You guys have been sports fans your whole lives, covering various teams, rooting for various teams, growing up. It doesn't last long. And when you do, enjoy it. And yeah, every year is not going to be the same. I don't think anybody looked at this Lightning team partner and Steve and said, they're the same team that won the first of two cups back-to-back, or both the second of back-to-back. But they have enough to get there. Once you get into the dance, anything's possible. But some years, your team is stronger than others. Some Mm -hmm. years, you don't have anything. We know that. I mean, we've... I grew up in Pittsburgh, and uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. You took you look up perennial loser uh, for you know post nineteen ninety two. It's it's basically been them. And then when you have a team that's competing, embrace it. And then when you win it, be grateful. <laughs> yeah, because it can go away pretty I think, quickly. I think Lightning fans appreciate the Cups. I think they do too. I think it's natural to have high expectations. That comes with the territory. And and John Cooper and Julian Breesbaugh and the Lightning embrace the high expectations. You'd rather have high expectations than low expectations. But it can be difficult when the team is not meeting those expectations. And I think the first 41 games certainly sum that up as to why we, we've heard quite a bit of frustration from the fans that contribute yeah. regularly to our show. I, I do want to mention before we break for the day, though, John Cooper, 500 wins. Yes, yes. I mean, Remember the team he got his first win against, Greg? You may not have been in the market yet. What was, what did Devils. you ask? His oh, first yeah, win. Yeah. I yeah. gave you the answer. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if the Lightning weren't going to win last night. And when they were down 2 nothing, I was thinking it. If they don't come back and win. Would John Cooper get his 500th win against the Devils, the same team that he got his first win against? But now we don't have to worry about that. He's at 500. <laughs> that is true. Congrats to Coop. That's a huge Congrats achievement. 
Yeah. That's a huge achievement and something he should be extremely proud of. Is it longevity? Of course, but it's also you got to win. And he gave a lot of credit to his staff, both in the room. They had a clip of him in the room and then at the press conference as well. For sure. Tremendous. Yep. Lightning are facing an injured Devils team tomorrow. We'll have more information on that, but sounds like no Jack Hughes. They still have Luke Hughes, no Palat, no Siegenthaler, Meyer. Called up Cal Foot. Did you see that? Cal Foot. Mm hmm. <laughs> He's in their system. And I think Nolan Good Foot is him. still in their system, too. That's incredible. So the Foots are but together. Look, I, I maintain this four game homestand, and now they've won the first game in come from behind fashion, but they got the two points. Like this was an opportunity for the lightning to, to take advantage of the more advantageous part of their schedule and that they are home. And the three remaining teams that they have coming in are currently out of the playoffs as are the lightning, but (laughs) they're not facing Boston. They're not facing Winnipeg. They're not facing the Rangers. Some they're not facing Florida. These teams are, are at or near the top of the standings. So they'll look to cash in. Now, who was the fan that tweeted if they win the four games, their their points percentage will be whatever it was? I mean, I'm not sure I'm looking at it that way, but I think that they need to take advantage for sure. Going 4-0 and would be great, but they definitely need to bank some points here. Heck yeah. And if they can defend as well as they did last night moving forward for the rest of the homestand and beyond, hopefully. I think they're, at the risk of repeating myself yet again, they're going to give themselves a good chance to get points out of these games. Great job, partner, as always. Appreciate you. We will talk soon. Talk to you tomorrow. uh, Everything and everything tomorrow, noon to one. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate you guys. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.